Let's open our Bibles this morning to Psalm 98. Psalm 98. When you turn the radio on and you you hear songs, you hear new songs, and you hear new songs, and you hear new songs. You go to each station, and I I just, it's, I don't know how songwriters produce songs. I mean, I might come up with one, but that that might be all that I was, it might not even be, be any good, but to come up with more and more songs, and you, you talk to songwriters, and they have just bunches of them that, that aren't sung, but you know, it just comes to them, and it flows out of them, and maybe you're that type of person, uh, maybe you uh, journal or write poetry, or maybe you write songs and don't let anybody else know about it, and it just flows out of you. Um, rhymes don't, just don't flow out of me uh, for some reason, um, and, and, but I'm, I'm always amazed at the people that it does, and how these come out. And, and here in our, our psalm today, it says, sing to the Lord a new song. So it's time, something has happened, and it's time to sing a new song. Not one of the old ones, but it was written for a special purpose and for his glory and his praise. So if you're able, would you stand with me as I read Psalm 98? Heavenly Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us today and open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to your word, that we would see clearly not just the words, but see clearly what you have for us, how it is that we are to live because of this fantastic news. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So Psalm 98, it is entitled a psalm, and that usually means one that was to be sung in particular, a song. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Shout joyfully before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people's with equity. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now just a little background on the psalm so we know what we're we're talking about. Psalm 98 is one of the seven psalms that are called enthronement psalms and they are used to celebrate particular events and in particular the enthronement songs celebrate God as the king. God as the king. Many of these psalms, these seven, have the words, the Lord is king. And it's not just a statement, but you are to shout it. You are to cry out that the Lord is king. So it, it, it wouldn't be sufficient to just say, I want to tell you the Lord is king. 
That's not the image that we get in this psalm. The psalm is, the Lord is the king. That's how we're supposed to do it. I know Presbyterians, that's pretty pretty shocking. Uh, But that's the way it's written. We're supposed to cry these things out. The the enthronement psalms are different than the royal psalms. Enthronement psalms are God is the king. Royal psalms are the king is the king. Okay, so David would be the king. When we talk about a psalm like 98, we're talking about God the king, the one and only king. And its heading is a psalm. It designates it, that, is it, that as a musical piece, a song suitable for use in worship. And the psalm itself, uh, look at verse 5 and verse 6. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, a stringed instrument, and with six with trumpets, the sound of the horn. So I, I play both a stringed instrument and a trumpet, so you, you can make your own conclusions there uh, about what that means. But, but it is to be an accompanied song with these, these instruments, and as soon as you get a horn in, it, it's not a quiet thing. Okay, this is a loud psalm. I want you. I, I hope I get that across already. This is to be loud. We are to praise the Lord because His joy fills our hearts. The joy of His salvation, and it's divided up into three sections. We praise the Lord because of the mighty things that He has done in the past. We praise the Lord because He rules us presently, and then there is this call on nature. To praise the Lord for the future judgment that is coming. For the future judgment is coming. Now in a few moments we're going to sing the hymn that Isaac Watts wrote, Joy to the World. This is Psalm 98 is the hymn that it comes out of. Is the psalm that that hymn comes out of. And it refers both to the first coming, the first advent of Christ. That's the one that we're celebrating now. And his second coming. Remember he comes the first time as the Savior. He comes the second time as the judge. But he's not a judge in the way that humans understand that. And hopefully we'll see more of that in a moment. He judges with righteousness. And he judges with equity. And as much as humans would like to say that we have, um, we, we have justice and, and, and I can judge in righteousness, we're all tainted by sin. So even our view of justice is somewhat tainted by sin. When the Lord comes for the second time... He will come as the judge who will judge in perfect righteousness and he will judge equally across the board. Equally across the board. Let me uh, quote a little bit from Charles Spurgeon. The invitation of the gospel is not an, is it, the invitation to the gospel is an invitation of happiness. In delivering God's message, we do not ask men to come to a funeral, but to a wedding feast. If our errand were one of sorrow, we might not marvel if men refused to listen to us, but it is one of gladness. In fact, you might condense the gospel message into this joyous invitation. Oh, come and learn how to sing unto the Lord a new song. Come and find peace and rest and joy in all else that your souls can desire. Come and eat that which is good and let your soul delight itself in the fatness. When the coming of Christ to the earth was first announced, it was not with sad sounds of devil spirits driven from the nethermost hell, but with the choral symphonies of holy angels who joyfully sang, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. 
And as long as ever the gospel shall be preached in this world, its main message will be that of joy. The gospel is a source of joy to those who proclaim it for unto us who are less than the least of all saints is this grace given that we should preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. I read that passage a dozen times this week as I looked at this psalm and it just reminded me, it convicted me, it struck me that this is a gift that is given to us, okay? And, 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 and there's a distinction between what this psalm says and how we live this out sometimes. Because the psalm says, how are we to say that, that the God is king? Did you know that God is king? No, that's not how we're going to say it. Okay, we're supposed to yell it out with shouts of joy. And it's not just manufactured. It is a joy because of the real salvation that comes in our hearts. God did this. He made this salvation possible. If I did it, if I had figured out a way in which I could get right with the perfect God and through my own righteousness or actions, then I would shout with shouts of pride because I'd gotten to God and I'd figured it all out. But you can't do that. The Lord has done all this. The Lord has come, and in the midst of our sin, he has reached down and given us new life. That's why we shout with joy, because I didn't do it. Because he did it. He extended himself through his son, Jesus the Christ, and came and saved us. Now, I realize that not everybody is demonstrative of this joy in the same way. Okay, You can go to churches uh, within a, a, a few mile radius of Central and right now they're rocking and rolling and their, their hands are up and, and it's fantastic. Okay, They're more demonstrative than we are. That, that doesn't mean that, that we're wrong or they're wrong. They're just more demonstrative. And if you want to stand up, well, not while I'm preaching. If, if you want to stand up and say, say, you know, praise the Lord or amen, or if I'm having trouble, you can yell, help him Jesus, okay? Uh, th- then that's great, okay? Because how are we supposed to say that God is king? Did you know that God is king? No. God is the king. And say it from joy in our hearts, okay? That is how we are to, to express ourselves. Now, if we are less demonstrative in other, than others, it does not mean that our faith is somehow less real than their faith is. Now, I don't know how you were. Uh, I, I, I've Believe it or not, in high school, my nickname was Rowdy. Okay, Rowdy. I had this shirt that had rowdy, let's get rowdy on it. And uh, uh, that's, that's kind of how that I was known. And, and I'm sure there are still people that I grew up with who are shaking, you know, scratching their head going, he's a preacher, I can't believe it. You know, what, what, how did that happen? Okay, how did that happen? Well, we know that there are things that are so secure in our lives because, uh, and I'll just use myself as, as an example, I may not get all excited about things, or I may not weep at certain songs I used to weep at when I heard them on the radio or sung them, but now there are other ones that cause me to, to really be moved in my heart. And, and, and you, if you're a younger believer, you may go, Randy, he just lost the faith. Okay, he's just not excited about it. Well, I would tell you, I'm pretty excited about it, but I don't always demonstrate it in the same way that others do. 
because there are certain things that I have chewed on and wrestled with that, that I am so secure in that it's just a fact. Okay, I, I don't have to, to, to chew on it or wrestle on it anymore. I've done it for 15 or 20 years, and I am convinced that this is true, and that's just the way that it is. Okay? Yes, we are promised so many fabulous things in Scripture. We are promised a joy that, that cannot be taken from us. And, and, and try to understand what this means. It means that every moment of every day, every one of us has the ear of our Heavenly Father. Now, if we all begin to pray for 200 different things in different circumstances at one time, what does the Father do? Wait, 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 just one at a time. No, he doesn't do that. He hears each of us. He hears each of our own voices. Any moment of every moment of every day, every one of us can go right to the throne of grace and have the ear of the Father because of the work of Jesus Christ. He doesn't put us on hold. You know, the worst thing is call 911 and get put on hold. Okay, that never happens with the Lord. You go to him at a moment's notice and you have his full attention. Okay, we have the righteousness of Christ that is now our own. We had none, now we have his righteousness. It is imputed to us. Here I am, I've got no righteousness, how can I get to the Lord? You can't. Christ comes into this earth and into this world, leaving the right hand of the Father, and gives us his righteousness. There is a joy that comes with that that cannot be taken from this world. Cannot be taken from us by this world. Now, yes, we're promised other things in Scripture, like suffering. If you want to live faithfully for Christ, you're going to suffer. But it's also very clear that the sufferings of this world have no comparison to the joys that come with Jesus Christ. Now, as I said, we may or may not weep at songs that we used to hear. I I can remember when uh, we were in Wilmington, and uh, some of you know what BSF is, and and I was a children's leader in in BSF, and we used to meet at 5.30 uh, in the morning on Fridays, and here you have uh, 30 men standing around at 5.30 in the morning, and we would start to sing, and that we had to sing. That was one of the rules. You had to sing. And we would sing the church's one foundation. And I want to tell you what, at 5.30 in the morning, there you have 30 men singing a cappella, the church's one foundation, and you have 30 men weeping because of the words. Because of the words and the powerful things that Christ has done in this world. Now, I can turn on other songs and they don't bother me at all. I show no emotion, but yet... The Lord works in, in my life perhaps differently than he does in yours. And you're thinking the church is one foundation. I can't remember the words to that. Um, but you turn on the radio and you hear a uh, Chris, uh, what's his face song? Who? Chris Tomlin song, thank you. You know, uh, Chris Tomlin song. And, and, and the tears are flowing out and you're singing and you're just so excited about it. Is this where we are in our faith? It's just how the Lord works in our lives at different times. Now, it's not that I have a mechanical faith. It's have, as I said, it's, I, I've wrestled with these things. We had a discussion in a small group uh, a while back about who believed in, in what concerning creation. And, you know, we had different views. There were a dozen or so of us, and, and we probably had four or five different views there. And you know what? I, 
if this was 20 years ago, I might have been ready to fight over those views. Okay? Because they weren't my views. And I was so convinced that they... But you know what? I think of how I have changed and grown and what the Lord does in my life. And I think, well, I'm comfortable and I'm secure in the view that I have as I have studied Scripture. And when the Lord is ready to change my heart or somebody else's heart, then in faithfulness we'll look at the Word and that's what will happen. Now, just as an aside, in the month of February, my Sunday school is going to have a, a special, my Sunday school class is going to have a special thing on creation. Uh, somebody's going to come in and, and who understands both the scientific and the theological things, and we're gonna, he's going to have a, a you know five six weeks uh, worth of study about what the scripture say, what the science say, things like that. So that's it. Uh, we also may look. You say, well, Randy, um, well, we'll go on. You, you get the understanding that sometimes there's a joy that I don't have to wrestle with anymore because it is constant. It is given to us, but it is ours to demonstrate. So let me make a couple remarks about this uh, first verse here. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. Wonderful things, or marvelous things. So the first, the Lord, the things which the Lord has done are marvelous in and of themselves. Because he is the one who has done them. You know the story. We're enslaved by sin. We're in bondage to sin. We're liable forever to be in the chains of that sin. But the Lord comes and changes all of that. He's, he's fought the fight for us. He's gained the victory for us. This is what Christ has done. And you think of yourself, you think to yourself, well, okay, but, you know, it's not like the old days. And I, I really, I, I read the Old Testament and you see the Lord parts the sea and the food and the man that comes down from heaven. And, and why doesn't the Lord do some really cool things like that anymore? Well, those were important miracles. But every believer in this room, everyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and has been changed, has experienced a greater miracle than the parting of the Red Sea. I want you to understand that. And you're thinking, a greater miracle? You were an enemy of God. Now you're his child. You were in chains of sin. Those chains have been loosed. And now you belong to Christ. Okay, You were one that had no business standing in the presence of God. Now... You have every right to because of the work of Christ. Not our own righteousness, but because of the works of Christ. Okay, this is what the Lord has done. Everyone has experienced, who is a believer, has experienced a greater miracle than what we find in the Old Testament. The, the, the sea and the manna and things like that. I mean, God can make anything he wants. But to save you and to save me is this great fantastic miracle and that joy ought to fill our hearts you think oh okay i'm saved a greater miracle than the parting of the red sea not only next secondly not only what the lord has done is marvelous in and of itself but the way he did it was marvelous or the way he did it was wonderful it was his own right hand his holy arm that has gained the victory okay no one but the lord jesus christ has achieved victory over sin and death, over the devil. No one else could, 
It required a perfect sacrifice. None of us are perfect. Jesus Christ has given the perfect sacrifice in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father. And then third, there is something marvelous in the joy which we who have believed in this victory have received. There is something marvelous in the joy that we have received. Now, maybe everybody, hopefully everybody knows the song, I am so glad that Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me, Jesus loves even me. Now just think about that. He loves even me. What is it within us that would cause the Lord of all the earth to love us? Yeah. Well, you say, well, I got up this morning, I was pretty good looking. Not good looking enough, okay? Uh, you know, I, I, I bought Christmas presents for everybody else. I haven't thought of myself at all. That's good. That's not enough to, for the Heavenly Father to love us, okay? What is it that would cause Jesus to love even me? This is the marvelous work of our Lord. Spurgeon says, You will never find that the sweetness of this thought, Jesus loves me, will ever be exhausted. Sinner, if you only knew the blessedness of the life of Christ, you would be glad enough to run away from your own life and run to share ours in him. We are in perfect safety, for who is he that can destroy those whom Christ protects? Nothing can separate us from the love of our Heavenly Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, this song not only gives us those three things, but it helps us worship our Heavenly Father. It helps us worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because it shows us that it is desirable to worship him. It is, I'll just leave it at that, it is desirable to worship our Heavenly Father. Now, everybody comes to Sunday morning with different things. I don't know what you did this week, I don't what you, you struggled with or how, how little you slept or how much you slept or what your kids did. or You know, I had a, a friend who, now I know this never happened in my house. Did it? Yeah, it did. Okay. Here you got a guy, he's re- getting his two boys ready for church, one of my friends. And it's winter in Pennsylvania. And the boy wants to wear his tennis shoes to church. Okay, now this, my buddy is pretty, he's pretty, you wear your tie to church, whether, you know, from the three years old on, you wore a tie to church. And the boy says, but dad, everybody else is going to wear their tennis shoes today. Okay, so what did my buddy do? He opened the window, took the boy's tennis shoes and threw them out in the backyard in the snow. Okay, closed the window and looked at him and said, now you're going to wear your church shoes to church. Okay, so how do you come to church after that experience at the home? hmm? Uh, you know, you're just like, oh, you know, and then you sit down and, and does your face suddenly change to this angelic smile and say, now I'm ready to worship. No, not usually. Okay. You, you may even be sitting in church thinking, geez, those tennis shoes were $100 and now they're sitting out in the snow. Are they going to be any good anymore? And, and things like that. And of course, the boy is sitting in church going, no, I really didn't want to be here. Okay, but that made me be here. I know, if I was in my tennis shoes, it would be all good, but I'm not in it. So you come and you sit in church and you sing the first hymn and you're going, you're just, the page is open, but the person next to you has had a fantastic week 
And they're just singing for all they're worth. The God is king. And they're singing it out all. And before you know it, you're, you're singing along with them. Because the joy that they have in their heart is rekindling the joy that you have in your heart because of the presence of Christ. Now that joy may have been outside of your mind for a little bit because you're focused on the shoes and the kids and all the week and everything. But sooner or later it comes back. And you begin to sing in a way that really praises the Lord. Remember, it's, this is a psalm of passion and a psalm of joy. Sing to the Lord a new song. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. If you can't sing in tune, then make a joyful noise to the Lord. That's what it says. Break forth in joyous song. Sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and melody and trumpets and horns. And make a joyful noise before the king. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Do you remember the song about Easter morning? Choir, you sing this every, about every fourth or fifth Easter. We sing this one. Was it a morning like this? When Peter and John ran from Jerusalem. And as they raced for the tomb, beneath their feet, was there a tomb? Did the grass sing? Did the earth rejoice to feel you again? That's. The joy that should fill our hearts. The grass. Did the grass sing out? Because Christ was here again? He is risen over and over like a trumpet underground. Did the earth seem to pound? He is risen. See, there's a passion in this Psalm 98. Because the psalmist has seen the salvation of the Lord. He knows what he has done in the past. He knows the promise of the coming of the Messiah. He knows the promise of the judgment of the Messiah as well. And we ought to be passionate about our worship because we who have been forgiven much are called to love much. Remember the woman who came and took that vial that was an entire year's worth of, of income and broke it and anointed Christ with it? And, and one of the disciples goes, what? Man, what a waste of money. Don't, don't you know what we could have sold that for? But she had been forgiven much. Her life had been changed by the things of Christ. My friends, if we don't love much, if we don't worship much, if we don't worship with joy, maybe it's because we don't realize how much we have been forgiven. We don't realize that fantastic miracle that has taken place in our lives called salvation. Well, that's just the first couple of verses. Go to 4 and 6. In fact, if you have your Bible, turn to Ezra chapter 3. Go back through Psalms and Job and Esther and Nehemiah, back to Ezra, chapter 3. The second section of this says, God is not just king, he is king over all the earth. Over all the earth. And therefore, the worship, as, as we've kind of been pointing to, ought to be loud and ought to be joyous. Now I'm going to read Ezra chapter 3, starting in verse 10. And then there's another section in the Old Testament that I didn't reference, but, but guys are walking up to the camp and they hear this sound and they go, it's the sound of war in the camp. And when they get to the camp, it's not war, it's worship. Okay, The worship is so loud within the camp of the Israelites that they think it is war. Ezra chapter 3 verse 10. Now when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, 
The priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the directions of King David of Israel. And they sang, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for he is for his loving kindness is upon Israel forever. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. When was the last time you shouted in this room? Well, yeah. I mean, what happens? So we come into the sanctuary, what do we tend to do? We, we tend to get a little bit more quiet, okay? Uh, that's not what it says here. Now, that doesn't mean when Robert's playing the prelude that you should be shouting, okay? Uh, but let's see what it means. Yet many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers of households, the old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, while many shouted loud for joy. So that the people could not distinguish the sound of the shout of joy from the sound of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the sound was heard far away. We get an idea of of what it means. Now the temple, from from the the documents that we find, the temple had this, uh, not the temple, but temple worship had this reputation for being very loud. For being very boisterous because of these types of things. They shouted for joy. Now, John Wesley, who wrote a lot of, a lot of hymns, let me give you a, a quote from him. Sing lustily and with good courage. Be aware of singing as if you were half dead or asleep. But lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, nor more ashamed of its being heard, than when you sang the songs of Satan. And I said, when did I sing the songs of Satan? Then I remembered... There I am, 16 or 17 years old, and I'm driving in my car, and my favorite group comes on the radio, you know. I'm 52, so that makes it Boston or Kansas or one of those groups, and I would turn the radio up and just sing loud like I was the lead singer, you know, and and good thing you couldn't hear outside the car because I wasn't the lead singer, okay, but how many of us did that? Or how many of us even do it today? Something comes on the radio and we're singing loud. Or you pull up to a red light and there's somebody in the next car. And they're just going to town singing. And and that's what it means. Remember when you sang lustily. Those songs that you just loved growing up. They had nothing to do with Christ. But you sang them out. Now we come and we sing. Joy to the world. Because I don't sing that well. And I don't want the person next to me know that I don't sing that well. Joyful noise. That's what it says. Joyful noise. Joyful noise. The angels and the Lord do not find poor voices offensive when hearts are full of gratitude for God. Okay? The Lord doesn't care whether you carry a tune in a bucket. He wants to know the joy in your heart. He wants to hear it expressed. He wants to hear it expressed. Okay, down to the last section here, we're going to find a great image in verse 7 of Psalm 97, 98. This is the future judgment and liberation of the entire, what we call the cosmos. Okay, God will judge in righteousness. He will judge the peoples with equity. Look at verse 7. Let the sea roar and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and the mountains sing together. Why? For joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. We hardly ever think of joy and judgment in the same sentence. Okay? But how will God judge? 
with righteousness and with equity. That doesn't mean we'll all be judged. This particular word doesn't mean we'll all be judged the same. We'll all be judged according whether we're in Christ or out of Christ. But it means the rich and the poor, the tall and the short, the old and the young will be judged according to whether they are in or out of Christ. That's what it comes down to. He gives salvation and, and, and even the rivers are called to clap their hands and the mountains to sing. What is the hope? The hope that we have in our lives. We see it here as we celebrate the first coming of Jesus Christ. If, if, if your life has been changed by the things of Christ, his first coming, then his next coming will be a joyous time. Because he will bring all things to a close. I don't want you to think that we are simply here in this world to hold on by the skin of our teeth or by our fingernails until Christ comes. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. That's what he says. He comes, and when he comes, he comes how? King. Victor. There, he doesn't come as, oh, maybe he can win. No, he wins in the end. And because Christ wins, all who are with him as well. The Lord will reign. How does uh, Isaac Watts put it? He comes to make his blessings flow for as the curse is found.